Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate you, <clears throat> excuse me, joining me, giving me a little bit of your time as always. I, uh, I know y'all have other things to do, so. Thank you. And for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast with others, tell other people about it, I'm very grateful for that. So thank you as well. Not a lot on the homestead. We've got some, I don't know. Mid-level clouds, but looks like it might rain, but you never know in this part of the world. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the time to record this podcast, the people that listen to it, share it. Be with them and their families. Guide them, bless them, protect them. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us courage. Give us perseverance. Help us to look to those who have come before us to see the the hardships, the struggles that they've faced and overcome with your help. Help us to take comfort from that, to get encouragement from that. Help us as a nation to turn more toward you and your son, Jesus Christ. To spend time each day with you. Just help us to do your will, Father. God, our nation and those who lead us. And God, my words here, Father, please. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Christmas greeting to the nation. December 24th, 1935, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Once more, the most joyous of all days draws near. And again, it was, it is my great privilege on this blessed eve of the nativity to wish the American people everywhere a Merry Christmas. This is the third time that I have joined in these Christmas Eve festivities. We are gathered together in a typical American setting in the park here in front of the White House. Before me and around me is an American assemblage. Men and women of all ages, youths and maidens, young children who know nothing about the cares of life all jubilant with joyous expectation. The night is falling, and the spirit of other days, too, broods over the scene. Andrew Jackson looks down upon us from his prancing steed, and the four corners of the square in which we are gathered around a gaily lit Christmas tree are guarded by the figures of intrepid leaders in the Revolutionary War. Von Steuben, the German, 
Casus, Casusco, the Pole, and Lafayette, and Rochambeau from the shores of France. I'm sure I murdered those names, folks. I'm sorry. This is in keeping with the universal spirit of the festival we are celebrating. For we who stand here among our guardians of the past are far from shores, I suppose, as diverse in blood and origin as are the uncounted millions throughout the land to whom these words go out tonight. But around the manger of the babe of Bethlehem, all nations and kindreds and tongues find unity. For the spirit of Christmas knows no race, no creed, no clime, no limitation of time or space. The spirit of Christmas breathes an eternal message of peace and goodwill to all men. We pause, therefore, on this holy night, and laying down the burdens and the cares of life, and casting aside the anxieties of the common day, rejoice that 1900 years ago, heralded by angels, there came into the world one whose message was of peace, who gave to all mankind a new commandment of love. It is that message of love and of peace that we find the true meaning of Christmas. And so I greet you with the greeting of the angels on that first Christmas at Bethlehem, which, resounding through centuries, still rings out with its eternal message. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace goodwill to men. You're going to notice as we continue to march through the years going into World War II as the troubles in Europe under Hitler really start and they've already started by this point folks uh, it's just that most people weren't paying attention. But they're going to get really ramped up over the next couple of years. And you'll notice that FDR's Christmas messages grow lengthier, more detailed. And he... It's hard not to read the Christmas messages as they develop and not see a much more profound significance in them. It's not something that he just did kind of lightly on the side. And, and I'm not saying that these first few were, but as the nation heads toward heartache and trouble, that relationship with God and Jesus Christ, not only individually, but as a nation becomes so much more important. And that's, that's something we need to really remember here as we get closer to Christmas, is that 
Christmas, you know, he talks a lot about the spirit of Christmas in these messages. Well, the spirit of Christmas at its very core is to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And you go back to C.S. Lewis's argument real quick, you know, you can either, <clears throat> excuse me, you can either claim that Jesus was crazy, <clears throat> insane. I think Lewis said, uh, on the level of a, of a man who thinks that he is a poached egg, or you can think he's a demon, perhaps the devil himself, or you can think exactly what he said about himself. Because anybody that claims to be God has to fall into one of those three categories. They can't simply be a good teacher. A lot of us like to just have an opinion of God that he's good and he's out there somewhere and kind of indifferent about him, you know, because he's kind of indifferent about us and our attitude toward him. But that's just not one of the options. Lewis talks about that argument that he left us. You can't have a man claiming to be God, which Jesus Christ did explicitly. And have him just be a good teacher. He can be crazy. Or he can be evil. Trying to get something out of it. Or he can be exactly what he says. And I think too often we have this kind of laissez-faire attitude about our own soul. And this relationship with Jesus Christ, and we think of it as something that's kind of superficial, that we only need to worry about a couple times a year, if that, instead of being the most central part of our lives. And, you know, that includes you hear FDR here, one of his lines, he was talking about, where did it go? The mundane, right? So that we can, yeah, they're laying down the burdens and the cares of life and casting aside the anxieties of the common day. That. Oswald Chambers, if you don't know him, is, uh, I don't know how to describe him, I guess, a preacher and an author and a, a Christian author from the early part of the 20th century. A lot of y'all probably know more about him than I do. But he made that comment in a bunch of different ways often, you know, where we really see our faith is not up on these mountaintop at these really high experience in life. It's, it's down in the valleys and the common, the mundane. You know, when we walk out the door each day, when you walked out the door today, or if you're about to walk out the door, are you really thinking about how you should be acting relative to your relationship with God and Jesus Christ and the commands that Christ has given us? I mean, is that really, is that, is that crossing your mind? Because it doesn't with me often, uh, at least not in the moment. I might think of it throughout the day, 
I've gotten better about that as I've gotten older, but when you interact with a young child or or a stranger or an adult, does that cross your mind in that moment? Or are we just trying to get through the day? And and I think there's there's a whole bunch there, folks, about this. When FDR talks about laying down the burdens and the cares, we rush so much today in society from one thing to the next, to the next. And we like to make the excuse for ourselves that, well, we don't have time. And, and that may be true. We may have backed ourselves into a corner financially as adults or uh, as students. We may have agreed to do too many things. And you really have to question the motivation or are we really, what, what's our motivation? Because almost without fail at the base, our motivation of being involved in all these different groups of students or uh, working all these hours as adults, it's not unselfish right we're trying to get accolades we're trying to get something out of it to get praise to make our transcript for college look better to earn more money not to feed our family or keep them warm or well fed or well clothed but to buy that new car that we really want to buy that expensive pair of shoes instead of the ones that we've always had. To buy a 72 inch big screen TV at Sam's. To buy the latest iPhone. Or to buy enough upgrades on the newest game. And you see where I'm getting at. And so when we listen to these, and we'll go through the next couple, I mean, we'll just keep kind of marching through them. It really would behoove us all all the time, but especially during this Christmas season, to think about God's commands. You know, FDR says here, when I was reading it, it kind of struck me. There came into the world one whose message was of peace, who gave to all mankind a new commandment of love. In that message of love and peace, we find the true meaning of Christmas. And, and there's a lot of truth there. Christ offers us peace. He says that his, his burden is light and easy to carry. Right? And And he does command us to love. He says that that's how others will know that we follow him is by our love for each other. But we've twisted that word a lot today, folks. You know, for example, encouraging someone to do something sinful, that's not loving. Supporting them in doing something sinful, that's not loving. If your friend is thinking about cheating on their spouse, you being encouraging to them, that's not, that's not loving. Opening up our borders to allow criminals to flood in when we have 
millions of our own who desperately need our care and have first right to it. That's not loving. Looking at children who are confused and and think that they're a different gender than the way that God made them and that they were born, encouraging down that path, that's not loving. There's a lot of things today that, that a lot of people try and convince us are loving that aren't. And and there's you talk about this Christmas message again. You know, unity. He talks about unity a lot at the beginning. Men and women of all ages, youths, maidens, young children, right? And then he talks about the fact that diverse in blood and origin as are the uncounted millions throughout the land. This universal spirit, all nations, he talks, quotes, right? All nations and kindreds and tongues for unity, find unity through Jesus Christ. And that's that's one of the great ironies today is that the left has done a really good job of selling the idea that Christianity is diversive or divisive, I'm sorry. Uh, that you can't have unity there when in fact Christianity as the basis for our nation is the only way that we can have that unity. And and you, we used to, folks, even with political differences, we used to have this unity across the land, these core values. And and, and we've got to get back to that point of having the core values. I say it so often. You don't have to be a Christian in order to be an American. But if you're not going to follow the principles of Jesus Christ that are the foundation for our laws and constitutions and institutions, then you don't have any right to be an American. That doesn't mean you have to choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right? And I I should say it the way I normally say it, which is, if we don't have a people that follow Christ, right? Because you get free will, and that's what we've been doing for decades. We've been choosing to reject God and Jesus Christ. We have the ability to do that, and our founders saw that we needed the ability to do it. But we're going to lose our nation. We are losing it. You can see it. And the last thing, and I'll move on for today, that struck me out of this is when he's talking about all these different kinds of people, right? You immediately think uh, of immigration. Uh, you immediately think of all of these different immigrants coming to America. And of course, the left would say that, well, there's an example. You want to be truly Christian. You need to have open borders. You need to let anybody that wants to come in here. And if they're already here and it's illegal, they need to stay. And that's not true at all. That's that's a lie born out of ignorance or malevolence. If you really want to use the Old Testament version of immigration, which we've talked about a number of times, then the only people that get to come to America are those who are going to follow God. That's, that's the Old Testament version of caring for the foreigner, right? They have to agree to follow God. That was Israel's standards. And the same law for the the Jew and the foreign born. And then the other thing is, 
You look at Jesus Christ's first two commandments. What were his first two commandments? The greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God comes before loving your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor really, folks, if you don't love God. At least in that moment. Even if you don't claim God. In that moment of kindness, you're following his principles. And that's what Christmas really gets down to. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless your marriages. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.